I'd like to invite you to Matthew 26. Thank you, Shane and Brooke, for leading us in our song worship this morning. Matthew 26, we're going to begin with verse 26. And when you find that passage, if you would also find John chapter 6, we're going to look at uh, some verses there beginning in verse 30, John chapter 6, verse 30. As we study this passage in Matthew together, Matthew 26, beginning in verse 26. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you do not have a Bible, we have Bibles in our overflow and also in the, on the table here in our vestibule. So we would love for you to pick up a Bible today as our gift to you. Matthew 26, if you're able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of this portion of Scripture. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day When I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Thank you. What is the Lord's Supper? What is the Lord's Supper? Let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us today. Father, we gather this morning as we do each Sunday morning for the purpose of remembering and celebrating and worshiping Christ, our Lord and Savior. We call it the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, Resurrection Day. We gather because we follow Christ as our Savior and Lord and that's why each and every week we, we gather like this in, in order, Father, to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow disciples, to encourage one another, to be encouraged through the fellowship of the saints, to worship our Lord, to feast upon His Word, to declare our faith together in song, to appeal to you in prayer And especially this day, Father, we remember your Son in a very special way which he left for us. He instructed for us to remember him by. And we're asking, Father, that this morning that you might give us as as your people greater understanding of what is this that is getting ready to take place, what is it all about, and How is it meaningful and significant for us as believers 
What does it mean for us? What does it accomplish? What does it do for us as we gather around this table? How does it nourish us and feed us and strengthen us? So we ask, Father, that you would teach us today, you would strengthen us today, you would prepare us today for the week that lies ahead of us, that we would go out, we would be gathered as your church, and then we will be scattered as your church and be about your mission. What we're going to see right here in this text, taking the gospel with us. Lord, we ask that you do great things in our hearts, in your church, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Well, if you are not a believer, if you were to somehow come in off the street, so to speak, walk into a church and the church be observing the Lord's Supper, if you've not grown up in church, you might observe this ceremony, so to speak, and it would certainly appear to be a very strange thing to you. And even if you have grown up in church, it still may appear to be a very unusual, strange thing. What's going on? Everyone eats a a, a little wafer, and I, I, from, from all the feedback, everyone's delighted with the little wafers in these cups. Everyone's doing internet searches. How can I get a whole loaf of that to take home and make sandwiches out of? Everyone eats this little piece of bread. Everyone drinks a little bit of juice, and, and then we pray. And so we call it a meal, but it's not like any other meal. It's not like meeting over in the Family Life Center. It's for a meal. It's called a supper, but these are very tiny portions. It's not like any supper that I'm familiar with. We we call it sharing. We call it the table. We call it communion. We have several names for it. It's practiced on some type of regular basis in the Christian church. So there's some kind of significance here for Christians. Christians, or at least professing Christians, are are the only ones who participate in the service. It's unique to the Christian church. It's a meal, but it's, it's not a loud buffet. It's a sacred, reverent, Time. It's an it's an act of worship. So, what is the Lord's Supper? What, what's taking place? What's happening here in a few moments when we observe this supper together? Does participation in this meal make one a Christian? Will you become a Christian if you join in this meal today? Or when you when you eat this meal, are are all of your sins forgiven? Since the last time we had this meal, so all the sins you've committed since the last time we had the Lord's Supper up until today when we have it, will all those sins be erased? And so the Lord's Supper is kind of just a way we keep up with keeping our sins covered. Is it purely ritual? Is it just something that we do? 
Is there something salvific about it? Is it somehow part of our salvation? Or is it just simply symbolic? It's just showing something to us. What is the Lord's Supper? Throughout church history, there's been great misunderstanding about the Lord's Supper, especially among those who are not of the faith. Sometimes they have grossly misunderstood the meaning and practice of this meal. In fact, early Christians were accused and imprisoned of cannibalism because their persecutors overheard them speaking of eating the body and drinking the blood of their God, of their Savior, of their Lord. So there's always been a lot of misunderstanding around this meal. And as believers, we don't want to be surrounded by misunderstanding. We don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to just do this because this is what we do every fifth Sunday. We want to have understanding. There, there's a meaning, there's a purpose. If there, if there had not been, the Lord would not have instituted it. The Lord would not have called us to continue to share this meal until he comes. He, he would not command us to remember him in this way. So there's, there's something very significant for us as people who follow him, as people who are in Christ. And we want to know what that's about. We want to have the full benefit and grace and joy of this communion. So what is the Lord's Supper? We can begin understanding by looking at this text which outlines for us when Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, the very first time this meal was shared in this particular way so in verses 26 through 28 first of all we learn that the lord's supper is a looking back in faith and i i say for us it's a looking back in faith as we're looking back at the death of christ say looking back in faith in verse 26 jesus says of the bread take eat this is my body this is my body So first, we want to ask the question, what does Jesus mean when he says that this bread is his body? Now, we know that Jesus is not speaking literally here, but rather he's speaking figuratively. This is my, he's handing them a piece of bread and saying, this is my body. The, the disciples understand he's not speaking literally, that he's speaking figuratively. They take a piece of bread from him. And they understand he's, he's saying there's something significant about this bread that is pointing to my body. They didn't think that biting down on a, on a piece of bread meant they were chewing on an actual part of Jesus' body. They, they knew Jesus was saying, this is representing me. This bread represents my body. In other words, there's something about this bread that's telling you something very significant about my body. So how does, the, how does the bread represent the body of Jesus? Well, right here in our text, we can, we can see what's going on with the bread. And we can see how it's illustrating the body of Christ. Right here in our text, the Bible says that Jesus blessed 
the bread. That means he gave thanks for it. He, he gave thanks to God for the giving of this bread. So the body of Jesus is something for which we should be thankful. Martin began covering that in the, in the children's sermon. It's something for which we should be thankful. Something that God has given to us. It reminds us of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The body has been given to us. The body of Christ has been given to us by the Father. But he also broke it. He blessed it and he broke it. And then he said, this is my body. So just as this bread was, was broken... So the body of Jesus would be broken. For that, let's, let's, we'll stay in Matthew, and you'll probably just have to flip a page. Let's go to Matthew chapter 27. And we'll begin with verse 26. Then he, meaning Pilate, then Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, that's the the whipping of Jesus that you've heard described before that would be torture, basically. Having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. And you're familiar with crucifixion means they stretched his body out, nailed his hands and his feet to the wood and then stood him up to eventually uh, the, the normal means of death would be to die of Asphyxiation, loss of blood, pain, torture to the body, to the body of Christ. He broke the bread. I'll come back to our text. And then he gave it to the disciples. He blessed it. He thanked God for it. God had given it. He broke it. And then he gave it to the disciples. So just as this broken bread was shared with the disciples, the message that that Jesus' body has been given to us by God and, and to be broken, that is a message that is to be shared, that is to be given. In fact, that's what it means when we share this meal together. Now, here's where I want us to turn to John chapter 6, and we'll... We'll put all this together. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, we hear the teaching of Jesus about him being the bread. 
John chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, I I am that bread from God who has come from heaven to give life. So now we begin to understand what's going on here in this instituting of this meal. the, The body and the blood, the bread and the wine, the hunger and the thirst. Jesus is teaching, I, I am from God, from heaven, the only one who can satisfy the deepest hunger, the deepest thirst of the soul. So how does that work? Just, just as God sent manna from heaven, sent bread from heaven to sustain the life of Israel during their wandering in the wilderness... Their 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness, they were sustained because God fed them bread from heaven. So God has sent Jesus from heaven in in, in the very same way. That bread is, that manna bread is also representing Jesus. It's also telling us something significant about Jesus. God sent Jesus from heaven to give spiritual life for eternity for his people. Not just a few years, not just physical, but spiritual, eternal, everlasting life through Christ. So how does that work then? How does that happen? What does it mean? We, we understand we, we take in bread, we digest bread, we understand that. So, so what does it mean that this bread is the, the body of Jesus? How do we take Jesus? And that's what brings us to the other words that Jesus says here about the bread. He, said, he says, take, eat this bread, this, this is my body. Take it, take it. In other words, take my body, receive it, internalize it, make it yours, have it as yours. In other words, my, my broken body sent by God from heaven is for you. My body is for you, take it. This is the invitation of Jesus to believe in him. That's why we're we're saying, what is the Lord's Supper? It's a looking back in faith at the finished work of Christ on the cross, his death on our behalf, what he accomplished in his broken body and in his shed blood. So when Jesus says, take and eat, he's saying, believe, 
Just like you take this bread and, and you put it inside your body. You take it completely. You consume it completely. It becomes a part of you. Take me that way. Take me in. Receive me into yourself. Believe on me. Believe in me. Believe in what I will accomplish on your behalf through this breaking of my body. My body's being broken for you. Believe on that. Believe in that. That passage we just read in John chapter 6, he said it this way. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me will never hunger. That whoever comes to me, that's another way of saying whoever believes in me, whoever embraces me, whoever takes me, take, eat, and whoever comes is saying the same thing, believe, treasure, follow, have faith in me. And then in verse 27, we, we come to the cup and essentially the same actions transpire with the cup he gives thanks for the cup, just like he blessed the bread. He gives thanks for the cup. This is something then that God has given. He gives it to the disciples. This is something that is to be shared. And they are all to drink of it, just like they were all to eat of this bread. They are all to receive this. They, they are all to believe this. And in verse 28, Jesus explains then what they are to believe about this juice this wine this fruit of the vine just as the bread represented his his body being broken this cup represents the blood his blood being as he says here poured out in verse 28 this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins so he calls his blood the blood of the new covenant. God relates to his people in the, in the form of covenants, which are basically promises. The one thing that separates God and man is man's sin. That's why we need these covenants, these ways in which God can interact with his people. And so when you, when you read through the Bible and you talk about a saving covenant, a, a covenant that makes you right with God, a saving covenant must in some way deal with our sin. That must be dealt with because that's the problem. That's what has separated us, alienated us, caused us to be the enemies of God. So if we're going to relate with God, if he's going to relate to us, if we're going to be made right with God, reconciled to God, our sin must be dealt with. It must be removed in order to bring reconciliation. Now, in the old covenant, God promises to give us life. Just like Jesus is saying, I've come to give life. God promised in the old covenant to give us life if we will keep his commandments. He says over and over in the Old Testament, do these and live. Do all that I have instructed you and live. So all we had to do was follow God. All we had to do was obey him. 
But as we have found out throughout the history of mankind and throughout our own personal history, that is the one impossible thing for us to do as sinners is to perfectly obey and follow the Lord. The old covenant of the law, we could never be saved by the old covenant because we could never keep our end of the covenant. We could never find life through keeping of the law because we could never keep the law. We simply just won't quit sinning. In this life, in this world, we just won't quit sinning. So the old covenant was established as a clear, unmistakable reminder that man cannot achieve his salvation. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot make ourselves right with God. We can't make the good outweigh the bad because the bad is the problem to begin with. We can't save ourselves. God saves And he has always saved by the new covenant. The new covenant. In the new covenant, God promises to give us a new heart. And in giving us a new heart, that new heart believes. That new heart confesses. That new heart loves the Lord. That new heart follows the Lord. It it, it has been set free from the bondage of sin. We can't obey God before salvation, before we're born again. But by the grace of God, through the power of the Spirit of God, after we've been born again, after salvation, we are enabled to obey the Lord. We don't perfectly, but we are enabled to. We have the ability and power of God within us to follow him. Now that's the new covenant, but something's still missing, isn't it? We still have our sin that needs to be dealt with. In the new covenant, God gives us a new heart, which results in a new birth, which results in a new life, but still we have our sin, our sin that we committed before we came to Christ, our sin that we will commit before we go to heaven. You still have to deal with the sin of those who are saved. And that's where the precious blood of Jesus enters our salvation. We could not be saved without it. Without this blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, that is, believers, past, present, future, for the forgiveness of sins, every sin committed by every believer. So when we eat the bread... And when we drink the juice today, we are declaring our faith in the death of Jesus on my behalf. When I take it and I eat it and I drink it, I'm saying I believe in the death of Christ for me, for my sin. He paid the punishment for my sin with his broken body 
And he cleansed me of my sin. He washed my sins away through the shedding of his blood. If you want to study that further, you can look in Romans 3, 21 through 26 and Hebrews 9, 15 through 22. So the Lord's Supper is a looking back on the death of Christ in faith. But it's also a looking forward in hope. And that's verse 29. Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Every I started to say every single word of that verse is important, but every single word of the Bible is important. But, but you know what I mean. Every single thing that Jesus says in that verse has great significance for this looking forward in hope as we take this meal together today. Jesus says, I tell you, that that means Jesus has made a a direct promise spoken from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ directly to everyone who believes in him. Everyone who takes that bread, who, who takes that juice signifying, I believe in Jesus. Jesus died for me. His body was broken for me. His blood was shed for me. I believe in him. He says, I I tell you something. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day. So he's looking into the future. Until that day. So there is a specific designated day in the future. Until that day. There is a special sacred day that this special sacred meal looks to Jesus where he has promised on this day that this day is coming. The same Jesus who left heaven was sent by God from heaven. The same Jesus who gave his body to be broken for you. The same Jesus who shed his blood to be poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins, without which your sins will never be forgiven. You will never be made right with God. You will never be reconciled. You will never stand before him justified. You will be condemned forever for eternity, alienated, separated, under the wrath of God's judgment for your sin. That's what for the forgiveness of your sins means. That same Jesus... who gave his body, who gave his blood, so that that all of the grace, all of the life, all of the promise of the new covenant might be ours. That we might not be left and remaining under an old covenant that could not save. No matter how much you try, you could never be saved. He rescued us from that entered us into this new covenant, all the grace and life and and promise of the new covenant is ours because of Christ. That same Jesus says, there's coming a day. I am awaiting a day. And Jesus would also say in the gospels, only the Father knows that day, but there is a day. Until that day, he says, when I drink it, with you 
Isn't that precious? Jesus looks to the disciples. Jesus looks to those who believe in him and says, Until that day when I drink it new with you. With you. In other words, on that day, a wondrous reunion is going to take place between every believer and our Savior. We're going to be with him. He's going to be with us. We're going to be in his presence. We're going to be reunited. We're going to dine together, evidently. I'm going to drink this with you. We're going to fellowship together. There's going to be a sweeter communion. That's why we call it communion. It has established a reconciliation, a a communion with God that is going to drink this with you. There's a promise of a day, of a reuniting. And then look, look where he says that's going to take place in my Father's kingdom. There is coming a day when we will be gathered together with the Lord in the beauty of celestial eternal glory. That's what this meal means. I have saved you. That means I have forgiven you of your sins. I have washed you of your sins. I have saved you for myself forever. We look back in faith. We look forward in great hope. Every time we share this meal, Jesus is present. He's present in the sense that this bread and this juice is visualizing for us his death. And and our faith is strengthened. Our faith is nourished. Each and every time that we take this and we declare to one another, we are followers of Christ. We take him. We believe in him. He is ours. We are his. This is not just purely symbolic. God is ministering to us and we are ministering to one another as we share this meal together. Taking this meal doesn't make you a Christian, but it does strengthen you as a Christian. Jesus is present, but Jesus is also absent. Jesus is absent in the sense of his literal bodily presence. Presence, which is right now today at the right hand of the Father. After the resurrection of Christ, after his ascension, when you see Christ, he's at the right hand of the Father in glory. So every time we share this meal, we're not only declaring our faith in him, we are also expressing our promise, our hope in his promise to return. One day... One day we share this meal and Jesus is absent. And that reminds us of the hope that we have in him. One day we'll share this meal and Jesus will be present. Not just in what is visualized, but what is in actual sight. Faith will become sight. One day we will share this meal in sight rather than in faith, in heaven rather than in hope. And then we will finally understand the fullness of what a broken body means and what the pouring out of wine means.
Jesus said in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Every time we lift that wafer and lift that cup, we hear in this gospel Jesus saying, one day I'm going to drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. We look back in faith. We look forward in hope. What is the Lord's Supper? It's when believers come together And we declare our faith in the death of Jesus Christ. That believing in him, our sins are forgiven. We are reconciled to God. We are eternally saved. Therefore, it expresses our hope that he has not left us. He has not forgotten us. He's going to return and take us that where he is, we might be also. And that, dear friends, is a message that's worth sharing on a regular basis in a very unique meal that no one else shares but the Christian church. And that is a message that's worth taking outside of this church and declaring to the world that they too might know the joy and hope that we found in Christ. Let's pray. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.